freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Salk. I don't read the internet, guys. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. Take the bull by the hands. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. And Brooke Wire, you are it. And Brooke, you are it. Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Salk. Yeah, rolling along here, All-Star Week on Seattle Sports, on 710, seattlesports.com, and of course the Seattle Sports app as well. Brock, we're reunited again. Good it feels morning, buddy. So good. So, Whoa. so good. So good. How we how we doing? The boys are back again. The, <laughs> the boys, boys sure are. I'm doing much better, man. I am, as I'm getting older, I real, you know, you get older, you realize a lot of things yeah. in life, right? I got this little sunspot under my eye, not great. Uh, tears flow easier, and I am much better at running around in the show than running the show. I, I, I last week was stressful. What's going on with the sunspot? Is this like the years of tanning? Um, yeah, I don't, yeah, I mean, just, maybe. Well, yeah, it's almost course. like that has consequences. No, it's just the years. No, I, I couldn't possibly it connect it. Years of enjoying sunshine. Right, I do enjoy sunshine. Okay, yes. yes. Well, good. I yeah. am all on on all over the TikTok skincare, Brock. I could probably get you something for that if you want. Yeah, you want some snail music? I was yeah. going to say, mean, is it slugs that work best for the sun? <laughs> Snails are really helping you stay no, youthful. But I don't think they're for the yeah. for the spots. Leeches, I think, actually, is what I've heard is I the mean, best thing for that. You can do scrapes. You can do <laughs> treatments. You can do stuff. I would think so. about leeches, Brock. I don't, okay. I don't know whether you've considered that, but leeches seem like probably your Great. best bet. Uh, we've been talking a lot about All-Star Week, but I want to spend a few minutes just on kind of what the Mariners have accomplished here in the last week. They've won seven of their last nine games probably should have been eight of their last nine tough luck loss where you know you kind of just once again don't take advantage on saturday and do what you're supposed to do in the eighth inning with the bases loaded and nobody out guess and then you get it up in the ninth season ended yesterday really yeah I guess same so. way yeah i guess just guess just Base, bases it. loaded nobody out guess. bases loaded yeah nobody it's, out. it's a it's a frustration that's you for can't sure scrape a run across very 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 <laughs> <Yes>. frustrating <laughs> How much did you talk last week about the players only meeting? Oh, every day, like probably three hours a day, every minute. <laughs> you didn't listen to the show when you were gone? What do Heck you mean? No, I wasn't awake for the show. What are you kidding me? <laughs> I woke up at 930 every day. I mean, when I I'm out, up. I make sure we get downloadable hours. Oh, yeah? I listen to every minute. Every I bet you second do. Of the show. Yeah. <laughs> While I was hanging out with Shamu, I was listening yes. to the show. Yeah. Right. No, not not a ton. I kind of used it, I, I think, on Monday and maybe on Wednesday as well. It's kind of the final stage. Like, this is the last thing that you can do. If you went and kind of look at the life cycle of the first half of the season mm-hmm. in a pretty exhausting season, and I know why Scott Service said, no, we actually need this break. Even though we're playing great ball, we need it because it was exhausting. If you think about it, Salk, it kind of started with, well, you know, everybody spoke. And, and then it started with, or the next step was, no, I spoke, or one person spoke, and we figured out that was mm-hmm. Scott. And then they came back from a trip, and the kind of the offensive guys spoke. And then, well, then some of the veterans spoke. And then finally, you know, you have a players-only meeting. And that's kind of the, the way the genesis of, a, of it goes from a leadership standpoint. Hey, man, kick everybody else out, and let's just get down to business. And we are vastly underperforming. We are not this kind of team. And it's time we all look each other in the mirror and get it done. So we did, but probably in the broader context yeah. of just the stages. Well, God, I would, I would love to know what happened because – it maybe is the thing that finally connected, right? Whoever called it, whoever spoke, maybe it's the reason maybe. they're playing better. Or I mean, if you listen, or to maybe t- it had absolutely nothing yeah. to do with it at all, right? And it just baseball is impossible. Yes, I because don't know you, you listen to Ty and Tom, 
you know, Ty kind of talked about it, and then Tom Murphy was just kind of like, eh. Right. I mean, it was, it was okay for some, I guess. Like, right. All right. You know, like it's just – and that's been my life experience with players-only meetings. You know, very rarely is it this unanimous let's go down of and course. let's scorch the rest of the earth. But since then, they've started winning, and they're playing better baseball, and the pitching has been tremendous. So, look, I don't know what the reason is. I don't know if the players-only meeting is the reason. Maybe we'll you know look back on it later after they win the World Series and say, wow, that was the moment that galvanized this team or whatever. But... Uh, you know, you and I obviously communicated still quite a bit over the course of the last week, and I think you're you're very much on track with a lot of your thoughts on these Mariners. They need another bat. They might need two more bats. They also probably gave their GM a good reason to go acquire that bat. And yes, they should have had at least one more in the offseason, but maybe he'll go out and get that one and one. I don't know what the heck they're going to do, mm-hmm. but I you know, just drafted four new guys into this organization yesterday, which might very well lead to the opportunity to trade one of the guys that's already in it. It should also be a lesson on the length of a baseball season. The Mariners over the last nine games have been a pretty good team. Mm -hmm. They should have done that a lot more this season. They probably should have done more in the offseason. But a lot of the comments made about this team at their lowest moments were probably unfair. Can we admit both those things are true because the baseball season is 162 games long? The Rangers have come back to earth. How they look Mm -hmm. these days. Mm -hmm. The, The Angels have lost nine of ten games. They're battered. The Astros don't look even close to the team they have been the last few years. So, look, the the Rangers may get hot again after the All-Star break and win 9 out of 10 again, or they might continue to falter. I just it, it's it's dawning me on me even more mm-hmm. this year than ever that a lot of these broad stroke proclamations based on small sample size It's just not befitting a baseball team. And look, we have to do it. We're in sports radio. We talk about the team for a living and you make decisions and judgments based on what you're seeing. Mm -hmm. And those are fair to make. And it's fair to comment on what you saw last night or over the last week or even the last month. And they might lead you to think about bigger picture, you know, issues, but making snap decisions based on small sample size. There's a reason Jerry DePoto comes on here every week and talks about not being emotional because you can't be, you have to look at a bigger picture. He does it week by week. Like we do it day by day. Mariners fans do it moment by moment, inning by inning, pitch by pitch. I I think he has to take it week by week, if not month by month. And and over decades is both a player for he and Scott. And by the way, how cool were some of those pictures Saturday of Smoltz and and, and just the stories of Scott's service Mm -hmm. and just a reminder, by the way, how talented Scott was as a baseball player. I think we forget that, right? We kind of like to poke fun at him and he's dad and he's got a funny laugh and everything else. Uh, Yeah, and, and a stud. I mean, an absolute stud out of high school and on the U- Team USA as a teenager. I mean, was a was a talented player himself. So those men in the business, they've, I think, learned to build up enough skin to not make those judgments, right, and, and do it in maybe, you know, weekly or bimonthly or monthly kind of judgments. We can't do that. And then you throw further fuel on it, Salk, because of the intensity of the expectations this year. Because because that president and because that owner mm-hmm. said no that this is absolutely right, you know what man. I'm saying I As think I'm that's saying, where the that's where the intensity of and that I'm not trying to say those things out. aren't true I'm just saying both things that can be true at the same time and it, it should it should give us a reminder that it's it's okay to be mad at the team yep. to be frustrated with a moment to be frustrated with a pattern 
but it doesn't necessarily mean that those things trump the history of what teams have done or players have yeah. done or the way the things were built, et cetera. So that's why, you know, I mean, years ago, Salk, when I was a gong show and I'm like, you know, kicking the cabinets and I'm dancing and, and the Graz would just look at me like, what is wrong with right. you? The Graz father had just the perfect, the ri- <laughs> he is a perfect baseball fan and ethos to baseball, right? Yes. He was like Simon and Garfunkel. Slow down. You move too fast. You got to make the moment last. He just a baseball season's 162 of these moments. And it, to your point, man, it's a large, large sample size. But man, does it feel good going into an all-star game when your team has just gone seven and three against three of the better teams? Yeah, you mentioned uh, Scott here. He was talking about going into the all-star break. You know, I, I thought last year when we went into the break on the, on the winning streak, uh, I wanted to keep playing. I feel we're at this year. I, I do think kind of a, a chance to, to recharge the batteries is important for our club. Um, I specifically think about our shortstop and what JP has done. And, you know, everybody understood where we were at when we came out of the, the national series where we lost two out of three to them and weren't playing good ball. And if I had to point to any one guy, it's JP. JP has shown up every day. He competes his tail off. He leaves it out on the field. And I told him as we walked out the field today, he needs four days of just sitting on the couch. You know, kind of regroup because we're going to need him every day in the second half. Mm. Every day, huh? <laughs> what, what happened to that kid? JP, some rest. Wouldn't, wouldn't mind seeing a day off or two, maybe, <laughs> yeah. for JP in the second half. But, you know, that's the unfortunate reality is they put themselves in a position where they do need to rely on him yeah. more than they would probably. You, know what, you want to know to. who else maybe needs a little rest? Do you know how many innings Kirby's thrown? 107. Yeah. Logan, 108. Yeah. I mean, right? Those guys that we were supposed to try to maybe protect a little bit? Uh-uh. JP, try to protect a little bit? Uh-uh. You guys are horses. You're horses, and we're running. We're running with you in, into the second half of the it, season. It's really too bad because, unfortunately, you know you do have some injuries. We got a texter here saying, "Well, Astros are missing Alvarez, Altuve, and Brantley." Yeah. Yes. And the Mariners have been missing Robbie Ray since the first pitch of the season, basically, and they've been missing Marco Gonzalez. I mean, like, come on, yep. all teams have injuries. Like, no, th- those guys they have more, and the Angels missing have more Altuve to their best and players. Brantley, who are ancient. That's part of the design of your team. Like, I, I don't know. It doesn't work for me as well. Like, when you have old guys, they get hurt. Hey, stay on the clock, okay? It's oh, the one thing Jesus. I did do. Oh, my <laughs> so, gosh. It's the only thing I could do. Oh, my I'm not gosh. an artist. I'm a blacksmith. Stay oh on the clock. Everything you need to gosh. know. Next. You are the worst. <laughs> this is your home. Your only home for All-Star Week, Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. <laughs> Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, obviously it was not quite like the epic win streak that we saw at the end of the first half last year, but the Mariners did finish the first half in style. They win their final three series all against quality opponents. They win seven of their last nine, the latest uh, three out of four in Houston. Brock, how many times have we said just don't get swept? And instead they went there and won three out of four. And the one-two pitch to Jose Abreu on the way. Swing and a miss. Strike three with a fastball and the ball game is over. The Mariners win it. This afternoon, 3-1 to one over the Astros here in Houston. They win the series three games to one. And what a road trip. They win five out of seven on the road trip. They have won seven of their last nine games leading into the All-Star break with momentum going into the second half of the season. And the Mariners get back over 500 by a game. Yeah, as usual, the pitching makes it happen. Logan Gilbert 
Just more goose eggs, man. He just gives up one run in seven innings, solo shot. Mariners win it, as you heard, three to one. So the first half is over. They're a game above 500. They're six games behind Texas, four out of the wild card. Yep. Not insurmountable. Not even close. That's surmountable. Not when you're pitching the way they're pitching. One run in, the, in his last 16 innings for Logan going into the starts. I don't know who led the players-only meeting. I'm going to guess it wasn't Walter. But when Walter went on the mound, his final two outings leading into this break, he said, I will take this over. Do you know where he is when it comes to walks and hits per innings pitch whip in all of baseball right now? I mean, this is on the staff with Luis Castillo that's going to start this all-star game tomorrow night. George Kirby, who's second in the league in quality starts. And Logan Gilbert, a.k.a. Walter, second. A 0.98 whip through 108 innings. Big time. Pretty impressive. So, yeah, that's a... It's not Brock. You don't want to be four games out. You don't want to be six games out. This is not, you know, the way you drew this up. But based on if you only listened to the commentary about the team and didn't, you know, look at the standings, you think it was a lot longer. And it's because there are four or six games that are right there. You're going to lose games. They've lost games this year. They're games the Yankees hit them. They're 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 low points. They're games you're going to lose. But they should. But there there. are four to six of these like bases loaded, no outs, just scrape a run across where you're going to win and you're going to win and you're going to win and right where you've had so many of those opportunities and you took advantage of most of those going seven out of ten against the Rays, the Giants, and the Astros. And as you have said multiple times, now you've given Justin and Jerry a whole bunch to think about this week leading up to a a trade deadline about three weeks away. Here's the second thing you need to know. Well, speaking of Justin and Jerry, they had a busy day yesterday. Four picks on day one of the baseball draft. Uh, So they were always likely to have a good day, but it seems like folks are pretty impressed by what they did three high school bats in their first three picks all with major major upside and i think that actually makes sense they spent the last couple of years right building up the organization as quickly as possible and to do that they needed to draft college players they were ideal for getting this this whole organization to where they needed it to be but now that you have that base you can go after guys with major upside, and that's what they did. It started with Colt Emerson at number 22, big-time upside, kind of similar to last year's guy, Cole Young. Uh, for now, he's a shortstop. He could end up at second or third. Then uh, the second pick was Johnny Farmello, another high school center fielder, athlete, big-time athlete who can really, really run. And then uh, third was Ty Pete, a young shortstop who's supposedly just toolsy, man, like big, big, big upside. Yeah, it was very clear, uh, their directive and their plan, right? It, it was it was athleticism. It was twitch. It was tools, as you said. It was two kids, Salt, that are 17. Well, you may not yet know because of all this perfect game and high school baseball and all this stuff and club baseball that I'm starting to, uh, to, to, to dive into a little bit with Titus is, man, a lot of these schools down south, guess what they do? Uh, let's reclassify. Uh, let's hold them back. Uh, let's start them a little late. Let's take a gap year. Uh, let's just go train for a year. And they graduate high school at 19, sometimes 20 years of age. Uh, that was not the plan with this group, man. 17-year-olds, two of them, including your first pick. And I, just look at And I know it's Ohio baseball, high school baseball. Do you know how many times your first pick struck out in three years? Three years of high school baseball, the dude struck out 14 times. Wow. You can probably remember all 14 of those. So when it comes to, yeah, youth, athleticism, and then some of that plate discipline, that's not a bad place to start. Here's the third thing you need to know. Well, it was a spectacular weekend already in Seattle with the All-Star festivities here. 
uh, everything from the Swingman Classic to the Futures game to the Celebrity Softball game. All of them sounded pretty awesome. But I don't know if there was a better sports moment in Seattle this weekend than this one. With the 28th pick of the 2023 MLB draft, the Houston Astros select Bryce Matthews, a shortstop from the University of Nebraska Lincoln. This concludes the first round of the 2023 draft. The draft will resume in five minutes. Announced by MLB Senior Vice President of Onfield Operations, Raul Abanez. Rob was shook. I was so proud of that song. So you think he was mad? Probably not for the Astros, but just for the kid, right? The kid's getting drafted oh, for and sure. they're booing. For but sure. whatever, man. That's a gr- if I'm that kid, that's awesome. That's rivalry. That's everything that you want it to be. Yes. Rob, Rob's the worst, man. Molly, Molly looked at me. He's like, who is that? Who's that guy? Up there? I'm like, that's, so bitter look. Like, why does he look so a, bitter? That's the commissioner of baseball. Give Goodell credit, as awful as he Correct. is in so many ways. At least he smiles and has fun. Oh, he'll fun play with that. that up. He'll play the heel if he right. if he has to. Right? Yeah, he was not ready for that. Oh, he nobody coached him not. up on how to handle. You know what? That was not board. either. That was not Nitty Night. Right, that no. was not the Maple Grove. That was some fandom right there. Yeah. I love that. Tonight, Julio in the home run derby. Tomorrow, of course, will be the. And I'm sorry, game. you can knit and be a fan. That was some yeah, vocal rage. Yes. I apologize. Don't, don't be like that. We have some knitters out there. What do you make of Rosang this weekend? By the way, I don't. I don't know how much time we'll have to get into it. But top ten in her first yeah. U.S. Open. Yep, yeah. she was a, she was the favorite, which I thought was a little rich. It's a little for, much. Yeah, yeah. The betting favorite. Yeah, uh, but but uh, she she hung in there. It sort of cool. mostly no names ahead of her. Though. What do you think about Justin Barnes open. being the biggest star of the four of us this week? I heard Justin was like big time all weekend. That he yep. was like it was him and G. Really, did you buy that jacket, things. Justin? That you tweeted out that satin. Did you buy G, that thing, or was G. it given to you? Yeah, I mean, G. Brock. Do stars buy their own jackets? <laughs> if it's free, it's for me. I think G, we all know G that. G texted me and he's like, where did you get that? <laughs> he went and got one. Is so. that a good sign? When you're wearing something that G wants, is that a good sign ooh, or ooh. a bad sign? Hey, ooh, that by sounds the way, like the first question for Shannon Gray. Just saying, I was the main character. Okay? G is going to be here with us at 8.30. He hosted the draft yesterday in person there at uh, team, at uh, Lumen Field, and uh, he will join us to talk about that. Up next, we talk to Shannon. We do some actual baseball conversation before we jump back into the All-Star game and the weekend and everything that is to come. Stick around. This is your home, exclusive home for All-Star Week, Seattle Sports, and the Seattle Sports app. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. All right, Brock and Salk, and we'll talk to Shannon Dreyer here in just a moment. I got to say, man, watching that crowd over the course of the weekend, especially at the draft, was pretty great. And, you know, knowing that the the booing of the like, I love stuff like that, man. I love rivalry, as you know, and I think that's kind of the way it's supposed to be. It was interesting being in San Diego. That's another really good baseball town. It's too bad that they've lost all their other teams and they don't have the Chargers anymore and all that. But they really do love the pot and the Potters are huge disappointment. I mean, probably along with the Mets, the biggest disappointments in baseball this year, throw the Cardinals in there as well. God, there are Padres jerseys and hats and they're mm-hmm. everywhere in that town. It's all they got left, right? Yeah. 
I mean, they don't they don't have the NFL, they don't have the NBA, they don't have the NHL. That is their they are a one horse town, yeah. and I think that ownership group has felt that they've they've got a beautiful park down there. They've set the whole thing up well, and and they certainly spent to try to compete, and it has not necessarily paid out. We, we went town. to go to a restaurant one night, and they're like, "Hey, it's going to be a little bit of a wait." A ton of people came in just to watch the games. Like, wow. Like that is that is a, a type of passion that you don't often find on the West Coast, and uh, the Padres yeah, and fans do seem to have it. MLB draft in Seattle twenty years ago, thirty years ago. Yeah. Do you think you hear booing of a, any opponent? I don't know. I don't think there was that kind of rivalry. Maybe Shannon could tell me otherwise. Maybe but I thought that that was that was about as cool as anything she, in that draft. She line. joins us right now. The great Shannon Dreyer, our Mariners insider. Hi, Shannon. Hi, guys. Yeah, I know they hated the Yankees, right? And but everybody hated the Yankees in the two thousands. And how about just the the sense of rivalry you felt? And I know we want to get to a lot of baseball, so here's my only draft question: How about the sense of rivalry with the Astros last night and those fans going crazy, booing the commission for forty seconds? Oh, I think it's awesome. And it's not just the Astros; it's the commissioner. And if you think about it, I think that's something we do here in Seattle. We boo. And, uh, you know, it's almost like the wave now, I think. And I, I look, I remember back to, you know, when A-Rod returned mm. to, uh, Safeco Field and the booing that went on there. So, yeah. uh, it's something that the fans, we have seen them get into before. I wasn't surprised to hear it. Of course, I wasn't there. We were traveling back from Houston, but yeah, there was a little bit of a chuckle when, uh, when that occurred. And that is something that, uh, baseball fans are not going to forgive the Astros for what they did. And then also kind of feeling that they got off pretty lightly for it as well mm-hmm. so yeah that was great to see and I, i'm sure manford was not happy and i hope we get another all-star game someday <laughs> <laughs> yeah whoops never coming back again till rob manford's out uh well speaking of booing is that what woke this team up what is it was it the players only meeting was it the booing what woke this team or is it just baseball and all of a sudden they start hitting again I think probably a little bit of a combination of all of the above. And, you know, there was kind of a little bit of a wake-up call of where they really were. You know, and hearing more and more about the team meeting and not any great details, but it's funny because for most people, you just heard that, well, people would just kind of went around and around on everything. Everybody was allowed to get everything off their chest, and it was one of those ones where everybody talked. You know, but some players were saying they didn't know coming out if that did anything. And others said that, you know, I think you heard – Probably Tom Murphy say he usually comes out of those things with more questions than answers. And another said everybody went around and around, not sure what it did, but it had to have done something, at least to be able to talk about this and to get it out loud. So if you had any little group saying, hey, we're in trouble right now, I think that all came out. And I think kind of the realization of where they were and that the season was, uh, you know, in jeopardy at that point. I think there's also a big pride factor out there, I, I think that helps. Shannon, but um, when you say uh, get stuff off their chest, what they, what type of stuff do you mean? Well, that's what I haven't really gotten into. I haven't heard it, but that is what was said. It was everybody had the opportunity to stand up, and I think that there were some that stood up and said, "Hey, we can do this." You know, we've done it before, and others that stood up and said, "This is what we're not doing right now, and this is what we need to do." Hmm. And I think in that case, it's probably a safe space because everybody's talking and you can say a little bit more than you could one-on-one or in a shorter meeting or if the coaches were around. I I think they just basically got it out. And the message, you know, was it's now or never, I would imagine. And the focus, I think it's, I think you did see a different focus 
after the meeting. They pick the worst time in the world to do the meeting when ma- when managers call that type of meeting. It's usually right before a game. They feel pretty good that you can win. <laughs> and they didn't do that with McClanahan on the other side. But as it turned out, if Bryce Miller's finger had held up, perhaps they could have. Um, but it's tough not to look at what they have done since and think that that didn't have some sort of bearing on it. Tell me about the mood of the team coming home off of this road trip versus maybe the previous road trip or or some of the other moods you've seen, winning seven of nine, winning in Houston, taking three of four and winning a series for there for the first time in five years, or was it just a feeling of, oh, we get a four-day break for the majority of us? (laughs) What was the mood and the climate yesterday coming home? Uh, it was, you know, some guys are scattering and going to different places, but uh, it was a little bit different because you did, you know, I, I asked the question a couple of times because at this time last year, nobody wanted it to stop. You know, they were in that role and they wanted to keep it going. This time people were saying they needed a break. That's what Paul Sewald said in the walk-off interview coming off. I, I, I think that it took a lot to do what they did these last nine days. And I think that there were a lot of emotions that were kind of involved in uh, not just those last nine, nine days, but getting there and things not going the way that they needed to. And so having that break, I think, helps them reset and kind of refresh a little bit and maybe if them even look back a little bit further and see what was it that got us to this point. And thankfully, they go to the break knowing that they've given themselves a chance. And so Scott Service, when he talked about it, said he looked around that clubhouse and said it actually comes at a good time. This is what they need. The challenge will be to keep that going. Now, all that said, it was, again, a very raucous um, you know, post-game celebration after that final game. But afterwards, I think people were focused on, okay, let's go home and let's, let's get that rest and let's get ready. And Scott Service made a, a big point to get everybody rest on this last road trip, too. You know, it's there is an eye for what is coming up next. And there were times when some players were leaned on pretty heavily in this first half. So I, I think they go into the break kind of in maybe even better shape that way and that you haven't really uh, to, to do what you've done and to keep a thing going. You haven't really kind of leaned on guys extra hard. I knock on wood don't see, I think, the number of dings and dents on guys that we've seen. Everybody has got something, but I don't think it is as much as we saw in the first half last year. And hopefully that is something that uh, will benefit them in the second half. The one guy he mentioned by name was J.P. Crawford. And, you know, we had heard heading into the year that J.P. was going to get more time off and Dylan Moore, and that was sort of part of the whole plan. It didn't happen a lot in the first half. And to hear Scott say we're going to need him every day in the second, I know he's probably exaggerating, but are they going to find some time to get this guy some some days off because he's he's been so important, but you can't let that power lag if he gets tired. Well, here's the thing. I mean, a big part of that in the past was he has been dealing with some significant playthrough type things. And every time you talk to JP right now, he's not a guy that likes to get too into, you know, why are you hitting the ball five miles an hour more this year? Why is your launch angle a little bit higher? And obviously he did the work at driveline, but why is he having the success that he is having? And just he's having, a, you know, a career offensive year mm-hmm. for him and for what he does. It's better than anybody could have expected. It's been fantastic on top of everything else that he brings. Um, he doesn't have that. And every time you talk to him, he says, it's health, man, everything, every single time. And I just hope it stays this way. That's what he talks about. That means some much to him. He is also one of those guys who I want to play every day. 
it can be kind of a detriment if he doesn't. He has that energy. He gets himself ready. That's what he wants to do. He is definitely one of those guys. And if they do get to a point where they think that maybe that's slowing down because he's exhausted or something like that, you can put Jose Caballero out there. You can put Dylan Moore out there. They can give him that day. But I, I think that we are learning more and more that he is, you know, definitely that emotional leader of the team, that the team feeds off of his energy both before and during games. And and uh, he is vital to this, which, you know, you've heard it from Jerry DePoto. You've heard it from Scott Service. I know I've said that he's big in that uh, quite a bit, but I think that it's really manifesting itself more than it ever has in his tenure here right now. Shannon, I think it's easy to look at some of the holes still in the lineup and, and some of the offense that still is inconsistent. So you got to get a bat. you got to get maybe two bats at this trade deadline over the next three weeks. I'm looking at Logan Gilbert, 108 innings. George Kirby, 107.2 innings. Going into the season, if I do remember, it's spring training. It was like, well, you know, we're going to try to maybe skip a start here or there. And, and, you know, I don't know if they want both those guys going 200-plus innings at, at this time frame. Do they also need an arm with no Marco in sight? Robbie lost for the season. We want to pitch on an inning count, certainly. And, and, and who knows with Bryce Miller, is, is maybe an arm as big a priority as a bat? I think Logan, you can lean on at this point. And I think they feel that they can continue with George the way they have. And I feel a little bit of nervous about it because his innings were, you know, more than they've ever been before and exponentially more, it seems like almost. So um, they watch that thing a lot closer now, though. You have got metrics and biometrics and, and, and wearables and everything, you know so much more about where they are physically than you've ever known before. So they do keep a tight eye on that. With that said, and I've actually said this for a while now, that if they are going to run, make a run, they need another arm, not so much for the postseason, but if they get there, but to help them to the postseason. Mm -hmm. So that's without a doubt on my list right now. Um, Brian Wu is the one that you just can't do it with. You've got to be, he has not pitched, not not even last year, but throughout his entire career, he has not pitched enough innings to just push. So what do you think his end. number is, Shannon? What do you think? What What is he sitting at now? Is he like 35? Or what, what do you think his total innings oh, will be? He's higher. I think he's about 60 between the minors oh, okay. and the majors yeah. right now. So he's yep. definitely up there. And I'm not, again, I'm not going to go with a number because they didn't do that with George last year. But it's going to be much less. They'll watch him start to start. And I think perhaps, you know, somewhere there's a ceiling, but it's going to be a lot less than what we saw with George came up when Logan first came up. And, you know, one of the things that I hope, and we really don't have anything new in this, is that you do see Marco at some point because he's perfect to help out with this, um, as, as we've seen and what he does in getting to the end of the year and giving you those starts that you need. But I also kind of wonder if there's somehow that he could help in taking some innings off of Brian Wu and extending his season as well. But that's not on the near horizon. And with the trade deadline coming up, that is something that I would like to see them address. Hey, Shannon, I wonder if you had the same reaction as me yesterday uh, when the Mariners drafted this shortstop uh, first uh, at number 22, who gets all these comparisons to Cole Young, it, it, you know, maybe they love what Cole Young did and they wanted to repeat it. Maybe he was just the best bat available. Those things are probably the most likely. But there was that part of me that said, well, if you want to make a deal and Cole Young's one of the most highly thought of guys in your organization, how nice would it be to have just drafted a guy who's exactly like him in the first round this year, too? Yeah, it almost seems like that's kind of what they did with the pitching for years. You know, you had a lot of arms. We were very excited about Brandon Williamson, and you could never give up Brandon Williamson, and they did, you know, and you still had, and that's because you had a, a Brian Wu and a Bryce Miller coming. 
except this is even a higher you know level in doing that. And and I, I think that it's very significant. I think that I'm seeing that with the advances that you are seeing with the pitchers right now, it used to be if you have all the young starting pitcher, you're hand, you're you're holding all the cards. I think the currency is going to be the young bats. You look around baseball yeah. right now, nobody's yeah. giving them up. So I, I think along those lines, you got two of the same. That's great. All the better for you. I think you need it right now. I, I think I, uh, it was C. Raj that tweeted out Depoto while he was the GM at the Angels never drafted a high school player. And the Mariners really were not in the business of that even early on. And now yesterday was nothing but high school players until a, kind of a slot guy in the second round. 17-year-old high school player, 17-year-old high school player, 17. I mean, what what do you think the shift, why the shift to go so young in that regard, what you just mentioned? Because they're not what they used to be. You know, again, they're all at the drive lines too right now. You walk in there and there's a whole high school arm of all of that you know we know about the club baseball and how much they play right now it's the whole minor league system it's no longer you've got to get you know 800 at bats or whatever it is or spend four or five years in the minors even the high school players are are that much closer to being finished products finished is and they're ready to move up not that they're major league players yet nothing you don't know that until they get to the big league level but um I, i think it's a great shift that you're seeing there it's it's Again, because of everything that's available to them and, you know, in some aspects, probably the shortened draft, too, that they've mm-hmm. cut way back on that, that the talent is just so much more concentrated right now. Shannon, this is cool. It's just fun, you know, a whole week celebration here of baseball in Seattle. It's going to be a blast tonight, a blast tomorrow. Thanks for being a part of it with us, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. You got it, guys. Hey, right. Shannon, I'm going to give you the same advice that Scott gave JP. Sit on the couch four days, feed up, <laughs> glass of wine, enjoy it. Zero chance Shannon does that. Shannon, one of the most hardworking people I know. Sit on the couch. We appreciate it, Shannon. We'll talk to you soon. You can read Shannon, of course, at seattlesports.com. Right now, time for Blue 88. This is Brock and Sox's Blue 88. Blue 88! We take you to the field as Brock Ewer breaks down three football questions as only he can. Now here's your hosts, Brock Ewer and Mike Saul. All right, three good football questions for Brock. Let's start here. Local football prospects. Brock, who is uh, looking pretty good in the offseason draft chart? Yeah, Jim, Na- uh, Jim Nagy down there at the Senior Bowl, right? Former Seahawks scout. Uh, we talked to him, and the, and the station certainly talks to him a, a bunch in the lead-up to the draft. Obviously so connected with John and Pete. And he tweeted yesterday, and it gained a lot of popularity. If there was a comeback player of the year last year in college football, they don't give that award. They give a Heisman Trophy and All-Americans. But like the NFL, if there was a comeback player of the, uh, of the year, it would have been unanimous. It would have been Michael Penix. And he was just talking about his raw tape. And, yeah, he flashed in Indiana. They got to know him at the Manning Academy two, three years ago and got to see some of that arm talent. But then to put it all together last year, and his throws especially sulk outside the numbers. Shannon just talked about some of those metrics that these scouts and these evaluators look at for all of these kids drafted. When you start to look at arm strength, when you start to separate these guys, and it's going to be a good draft class. Caleb Williams is number one. Lots of Mahomes comparisons. Drake May is right there. Michael Penix is kind of slotting in right there. Spencer Rattler at South Carolina. I mean, you're seeing off the charts. You have him ahead of Bonex. I have him ahead of Bo Nix. I saw yeah. Dane Brugler had the, the other way, so I was curious where you had him. Uh, but yeah, I have Penix ahead of Bo Nix. Now, from a college playing standpoint and a running athleticism and, and maybe the right fit and the right system doing those things, <laughs> Bo Nix could be better. But from to, in, in his body is certainly a little bit healthier than Michael's. 
But, man, the way he throws. I remember Damon saying this last year in his life, and this is Marino and others. <laughs> it's like I have never seen a kid throw an out route. You know, just those outbreaking routes. And, you know, most defenses will play defense and design defense all to say, hey, if we're going to give something up, hit it there. Right. You know, like like the shit. Hey, man, if we're going to give a, this up in the shift, you're going to hit it there. You know, and they're going to just play their corner inside. And you're going to throw that out route, you know, 30 yards across the field on line and accurate. Good luck. Good luck. Right. Well, no luck with him. He's got a <laughs> skill that's pretty darn unique. All right. Question number two. This season, Brock, anything uh, stand out to you, bug you, make you happy recently in the uh, NFL list time? Yeah, well, ESPN's coming out. They, they did this last year, and this is cool. And they talked to lots of executives and GMs and players. So this isn't just, uh, you know, some guy's list. This isn't Pete Prisco's list. This is this is the decision makers, and they put together who are the 10 best at the position. Remember doing this last year? Mm-hmm. And here's the receiving crew, and I think DK at that point might have been the only Seahawk on any <laughs> – a top 10 list positionally and uh, they went through the front seven and not a surprise that D tackle wise you don't have a Seahawk and Dre Jones you don't even have an honorable mention you have him receiving votes so well down the list and then Bobby Wagner this was the first list I saw and Justin I know that he drew the largest the largest cheers and he is beloved and he's a nine-time pro bowler and he's going to be a hall of famer this is the first list I've seen going into a season, even at the end of a season, where, no, he's not one of the best 10 off-ball linebackers. Mm-hmm. He was an honorable mention. And if I know Bobby, that's going to get back to Bobby and might put a, a little chip on Bobby to say, oh, really? Mm-hmm. Y'all don't think I can play? Or do you market, think he's got some of that? I, I think he's got a little bit of little that. Bit? Yeah, I think that was a little of, bit. I think that was a large supply through the 2010s <laughs> with most of those guys. <laughs> Question number three. God, I, this always makes you feel old when you start seeing who's eligible for the Hall of Fame, but Andrew Luck yeah. is eligible for the Hall of Fame, and Cam Newton's not eligible yet. He's I still playing. Think, well, kind of. I don't think he's played in a couple he's years. He's not yeah, eligible be, for the Hall of Fame. No, you got to be five years. on this list. No, but because there was an argument that was going around yesterday. Oh, Once okay. the Andrew Luck argument started to come out, I was like, Are whoa, either whoa, of those whoa. guys Hall of Famers? Yeah, exactly. Hold Easy on answer. just a second. No. I don't think so either. Neither of them are Hall of Famers. Nope. I mean, you can't just do it for six years. And Andrew's stats for six years were phenomenal. And elevating a, a, a team and taking over Peyton Manning and filling that void. Remember how bad Indy was once Peyton was done? Yeah. And he came in. He beat the Seahawks in their prime. He was one of the few guys that that LOB got torched by in that game in Indianapolis. He ran around. He, he threw balls over the top. He just destroyed them. But six years. I know Terrell Davis went in there with about a six-year run at running back, and I didn't love that. That felt a little light to me, but running backs are one thing. Quarterbacks, you got to do it for more than yeah, six. I would agree with that. And I think even for Cam, the upside and the ceiling and the high moments were unbelievable. MVP of the league, took a team to a Super Bowl, had a charisma that was second to none, but just too many down years and not enough consistency as that body broke down. All right, that is uh, Blue 88. We do that every morning, of course, at uh, 745. A couple of things I wanted to come back to uh, from Shannon there uh, and a couple of the questions you asked. So one is on the high school kids. Why the shift to high school kids? I was thinking about it, and I I read quite a bit of Scott Hunter's uh, interview last night. I don't know if you saw any of that, but he's their uh, director of scouting and Mm -hmm. uh, amateur scouting. And one of the things really stood out to me was him saying that essentially – over the last few years, Brock, they just needed to build up the organization, mm-hmm. right? And they needed to do it really quickly. So you're drafting a lot of college players, especially college pitchers, in order to get your organization to where it needs to be. Well, 
then you have got it there. Now you can start taking big swings. Now you can start taking risks. Now you can start going for upside. And I think especially the third pick that they had yesterday, uh, Ty Pete, that's mm-hmm. that's what he is. He might yes. not work out. Yep. But he's a guy that if he does work out, could be a freak. Correct. Right? So you're in a position now to be able to take some of those risks, and often those come with high school kids because you just don't have as much information on them. Here's the other thing. High school pitchers are a non-starter. It's like it's out. People don't do it. You'll notice yesterday there was one starting pitcher from, from high Jesuit school. Jesuit High School in Portland, Oregon. Down That's the, the only one. Top 10. The and, only one. And, and even then they were like, well, he's a little different from other high school arms. And we'll see. Mm-hmm. They just the, the bust rate is so high, especially on high school right-handers, that yep. they just that nobody's taking them. Doggone it, Titus. I know. Well, <laughs> you better start thinking about whether he wants Jeez. to go to college. Yes. So, yeah, I, I think that's that's all sort of part of why you saw so many uh, high school kids yeah, draft I would add Mariners. A, yes, I would right. add a couple elements to that. Um, what you just said, what you don't know, 20 years ago, you did not know about high school kids. You mm-hmm. watched grainy Sasquatch film, or your scouts were out there eating hot dogs and potato chips and trying to drive here, <laughs> there, and everywhere. And now, as Titus said to me last night, he's like, look, Dad, perfect game, perfect game, perfect yep. game, perfect game. They're all at showcases. Of course. And so Max Clark, this kid that goes in the top five to Detroit, Titus knew all about him. He's like, Dad, wait till you hear about this guy's shoe game. Oh, guess what? Here's his shoe game. <laughs> and wait till you see this or that. He's, wow. And, and, and on top of it, they measure like, you know, swing velocity yeah. and all of this tilt yep. and, and launch angles and all of exit well, you know, velocity. And- still, I mean, obviously you're going to know more about a college player because of the comp, not just the competition, because you're right. Perfect game evens a lot of that out, mm-hmm. but, but just in terms of how they're going to adjust over time, what their body does, et cetera. Correct. I mean, you just but have you more see these bodies on these 17 and 18 year olds. Dude, too? I, 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 mean, I don't they're want just, to. Yeah. I mean, I'm I sorry. I don't care for it. That was an inappropriate question. I knew you would respond that way, but you know, just look at the three that the Mariners took six, one, 200 Colt Emerson. I mean, th- like thick thighs save lives. The, the, the center fielder, 6'2", 205. Looked like an NFL strong safety. And then the Taipei kid, they listed at 6'2", 193, and have already said, no, no, no. Yeah, that's not he's true. He's going to be a bigger He's, he's going to be a big boy. He's going to be a 220 well, And you corner. add that to Felning Celestin, right, Jeez. and Celestine. you got Celestine. some dudes coming, yep. which, is, which is important. Why bats over arms? Partly because you got a lot of arms, but... Partly because of, I think, what you just said, right, and what Shannon was saying, that that's going to be a a controllable resource. Mm -hmm. But how about this one? You can't get anybody to sign here. If you can't get bats to sign here, you've got to draft them. And if you want them to be good, you better draft a few of them in order to give yourself a – so I wonder if some of that is a reaction to the trouble that they've had getting it, you know, and you can't trade for them, as Shannon said. That's right. You, you know, that's the other part. If nobody of it. Not, wants not to give up their agency, young bats. That's right. And the free agent bats don't want to come here. Yep. You better find them somewhere else, yep. and then figure out a way to bring in some pitching through free agency, etc. Mm-hmm. So, makes some sense. You see what the Mariners did yesterday as they drafted a bunch three high school kids, three high school bats in the first round. All right, coming up next, uh, we got a lot going on here in the eight o'clock hour. G's going to come in tell us a little bit about what it was like hosting the draft. We'll talk. About more uh, of these draftable kids with Brandon Williams or uh, Brandon Williamson, Brandon uh, Gustafson, Gustafson, our guy at nine o'clock. Before we do any of it, it is a special, special week here in Seattle. And today's a special day. I'll explain why next. Brock and Salk, Sales Sports on 710.